Everyone knows you should never take a physicist to a sci-fi movie. The same can be said about a biologist and a creature feature. We can point out how certain things are biologically unlikely or downright impossible, but that would be boring. So rather than pointing out what can't happen, why not ask ourselves, what if it was real? So using my super nerd levels of knowledge about biology, physics, and mythical creatures, my friends and I will explore how different creatures could have actually evolved on our planet and what they potentially would look like. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to A Real Creature Feature. My name is Mac. I'm Mike. I'm Dane. And today, we'll be talking about ghouls. Ghouls. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the pre-Halloween episode. It's, it's, re it's really pre-Halloween at this yeah, point. Very. So, uh, first, uh, so last time I talked, I mentioned um, the Immense World book. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it actually kind of will relate in this a little bit when we were talking about the ghouls. So uh, one, what the guy was talking about, one of the main factors that he was dealing with, it's called the Umwelt, mm -hmm. which German. So it's U-M-W-E-L-T, German. And basically it's uh, meanings uh, environment or surroundings is the biological foundation that lie at the very center of the study of both communication and significance in the in the human and for this non-human animals and basically it's yeah it's just the whole notion of how you perceive the world and it was just this real it because yeah every not only is uh every animal's perception of the world different you can argue every human's perception for example you know color blindness or blindness or no like somebody who has a really bad sense of smell or has a good sense of smell like all that other stuff and i just thought it was really interesting and yeah this will probably come into factor later because like i said before it's one of those things where like you it was just something that he, he brought up he was like i really he was like i really hate those lists where it's like this animal has the best sense of smell compared to this or the like when they're talking about dogs because it was like dogs have a 500 times more powerful nose than humans and it was like well that's a how do you how do you quantify that and also mm -hmm. there was a study and it was like really cool so dogs can like process the yeah. smells a lot better than us because they have better software and better hardware because they have you know more nose channels and more everything else mm -hmm. and also uh so you know how uh, dogs have that little slit in their nose yeah so that actually causes this kind of like weird little vortex thing. So when they breathe out, they're breathing in that smell. Oh. And unlike us, when we breathe out through our nose, we are actually cleaning out our nose of smells. One step ahead of you. Yeah. So dogs don't do that. So it will stay in their snoot longer. Ah. And it was just, you know, and then he was like, but the real interesting thing was when they were doing other tests like that, they were seeing that humans were able to more precisely tell the difference between two different smells. Like if ah. they're very similar, but dog, and it was just really interesting because it was like, but dogs can still catalog more smells. So it's the idea that whereas we can tell a nuance between smells, yeah. a dog is more like good smell, bad smell. Ah, the smell, smell to determine later. Yeah. 
and I, I guess well, maybe if like if some two people have like smell senses that are very very close, they wouldn't be able to t- tell the difference. But also, mm-hmm. humans probably drastically do smell differently. I'm sure we do. Yeah. I mean, some and, humans smell terrible. And uh, mainly, what this always uh, kind of annoys me when I after I learned about this was how in like either sci-fi or fantasy they always would talk about humans having these really bad senses or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, in the show Farscape. There is an episode where they're dealing with they're like, you have really bad eyes. And uh, Crichton was just like, oh, no, no, I have I have 2020 vision. And they're like, what does that what does the say uh, thing say on that uh, vase over there? There's like there's writing on that vase. And then they read it off. And it was like, you don't need to have that much that strong of eyes. Humans actually have some of the best vision of all the animals of all the known animals. Well, Yeah. But uh, how he was explaining why that is, is, and this is very important, and this goes with our, uh, one I was talking about for like flight and stuff like that, where mm-hmm. you can't just keep adding on muscle, you can't just keep doing all these things, you need, there's resource allification. Allifications? Allification. Yeah, uh, allocation. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's an allocation where you eat cats? Yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so like how you compared it, it was like, now think about um your like let's compare your muscle where like so you're when you're sitting here how much how much of your muscles are you using ah well i mean i'm really using the leg my right leg muscle just to keep supporting myself so that this chair doesn't fall over but that's about it now imagine go sitting in a squat position how dare you sir how long can you do that compared to sitting in a chair well not well i mean i could do this for a while some people could do it very long. Yeah, a Japanese punk could do it forever. Okay, okay. Or the whole. So now imagine taking a, a bone arrow, mm-hmm. pulling it taut, yeah. uh, tight, and holding it there. Yeah. How long would it take until you couldn't do that anymore? Well, depending on 40 pounds on the tightness of the bow. Yeah. Well, my fingers would give out before my arm would in that case. That's but... the point I'm making. Now. That's what your eyes and all your other sensor organs are constantly doing. They're always at ready. Even when your eyes are closed, your eyes are still processing information. Now, that takes a lot of energy to do that. So if every if like so let's just say all our um, senses were cranked up to 10, that's so much more energy that you need to be providing those different sensor organs. So your caloric intake would go way up. Okay. So that's that's what he was saying. So so rather than doing that, uh, animals have adjusted to, you know, well, this is what I need. So I'm just going to focus on that. Otherwise, you know, you burn yourself out, probably. I think if we if we ever continue the show or move on to the next one, I'm going to have to get a soundboard <laughs> and just and just have like a few random sounds for you specifically be like, this was Mac over explaining a thing. Yes. And, you know, just start cutting those in. What is the lady, uh, what is that Japanese lady who, uh, minimized life? Marie Kondo. Ah, so, so, evolution is the Marie Kondo of life. Yes. Joyful tidying? Yes. Yes. Each animal, joyful tidying, tidying. Oh, you don't need that muscle. Oh, you don't need a sternum, you're not flying. Oh, you don't need that. Yes. Actually, yes, very much so. That's also why... For example, us three are very white. 
How dare because you, we haven't needed the as much melanin in our skin when we're our our families moved up to more northerly at um altitude so so what the hell does any of this have to do with the ghouls uh it, it's going to be dealing with their ability to sense later uh, okay. it will uh come back but right now i want to go to the creature michael what do you know about ghouls apparently nothing i think we established that last week i know nothing about ghouls and that's fine that's fine. I know nothing. Dean. They are creatures that look like corpses that live in graveyards, but feast upon dead human flesh. So, so the more, so the more, eco, so the more ecological zombie. Then. And that, and that's originally what they were called in the original night of the living dead was they were ghouls. Yeah. Not zombies. Zombies came a year or two after that. Uh, by crazy white zombie horror film. Well, uh, I think the the white zombie um was because I believe that movie before Night of the Living Dead came out, and they were referring to the whites, which are uh, if you also look in the monster manual, they have they reference them, and they're very similar, and they're super. Similar. Uh, so um, did a lot of this. I'm probably gonna skip over a bunch of stuff, but. In Arabic folklore, the ghoul is said to dwell in cemeteries and other inhabit uninhabited places. The male ghoul is referred to as the ghoul, G-H-U-L, mm-hmm. while the female is called the ghoul-ha. I, I'm, I'm butchering it. Yeah, it, well, G-H-U-L-A-H. Oh, a ghoul Yeah. Um, and when they're referring to the female ghoul, uh, she is portrayed... In many tales, luring hapless characters um, who are un- or who are usually men into her home where she can eat them, which is kind of interesting because you're like, wait, I thought they were eating dead things. Yeah. Well, but uh, some state that uh, uh, ghouls, yeah. a ghoul is a desert dwelling shape shifting demon that can assume the guise of an animal, especially a hyena. It lures unwary people into the desert, wastes or abandoned places to slay and devour them. The creature also preys on young children, which is general monster. Okay. So so maybe it doesn't feast on something while it's still alive, but it's not going to go out there, but it's not going to just sit around and wait for a corpse to fall in its lap. It's going to try and make one? Yeah, for this one. Um, and so the creature also preys on young children, drinks blood, steals coins, and eats the dead. Oh, then wait. taking... Wait, can we go back? What were, like... Young children drinks blood, yeah. steals coins, and eats the dead. Steals coins. Okay, I thought you said eats coins. And I'm like, oh. this thing has has a diet that it just it will put anything in its mouth. It's a shark. Uh, then taking the form of the person most recently eaten. So there's that story too. It's a shapeshifter. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, one of the narratives identified a go- uh no narr- yeah narratives identified a ghoul named. Ghoul E B I'm butchering it, so I'm a particularly monstrous character, uh believed to be inhabiting the wilderness of Afghanistan and Iran. Uh there's also ones that are described as cave dwelling animals who only live at night. No, only leave at night, avoid the sunlight, so you know, very vampiric. It's not it was not until um the French translation of one thousand and one nights 
uh, where the f uh, Western concept of Google was introduced to European society. Um, get, uh, he was it was translated by a guy named Anton Antoni Galland. It was depicted uh, Google as a monstrous creature that dwelt in cemeteries and feasting on the corpse. And that one, it seems more like uh, it was also a mistranslation. Not only did Gouldy take liberties in his translations, he even introduced and allegedly created the female character Amina, who prefers the company of graveyard ghouls to that of her new husband. Uh, who doesn't? And well, because that's it's the good thing and bad thing. Once again, it's a good thing and bad thing about uh, stories is that they're forever changing until you write them down. Yeah. But even then, hey, this guy wrote it down, but he wrote it down wrong on purpose. So then I don't think the English translation has the. So it's just like, Ugh. Uh, and I just wanted to bring back this one um, just because there is other like different types of ghouls in from different lands. Uh, this is from the Tamli or Tam Tam. I, Tamarar. Nope. This is uh, from the Indian subcontinent. Tamil. Tamil. Yeah. Uh, Tamil mythology of India. Uh a shaggy, cre shaggy haired creature known as the Pei, uh, P E Y, sought out human battles so as to lap the blood up from open wounds of the dying. Waterloo and Gettysburg. Yeah. Still, another ghouls emerged from 8th century Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, and this one was is referred to as the. Mm. I need to look that one up. Yeah. Uh, Pistachio. Pistachio. Yeah. That was a different one. Remember? That was the fat vampires. Yeah. Uh, and this one is a feast fe female being with a bestial head and appetite for bones and viscera. Pis the reason Pisachi. why. Pistachio. Yeah. And I was like, I was just thought it was like, oh, look at that. Bringing it back to uh, the truth fairy. Yeah. So then oh. I did look up more about the pay and Pistachio. Uh, a lot of stuff that isn't like Hindu mythology and referring to more like vampires. So I'm probably going to not refer to them as much because we've already talked about vampires. And so one of my first questions I wanted to talk about with these guys was, do you, would our ghoul be a creature that defends their food from predators? So like they find it and they keep it or they're like, oh, something's bigger, run away. Like a lot of our scavengers. See, it seems to me like it would be a scavenger almost. Well, you unless there were unless there were high unless there were high numbers of them, then they might be able to take down if they if they were a, you know, if they had a, uh, you know, pack mentality and they work together to take down a group of you know to take down a larger creature. It depends on how intelligent you want to claim them to be. My my thing, though, is like if it's traditional for the ghouls to have turned into hyenas, it, they probably would. For me, they would probably be more along the lines of being those type of scavengers where the lion takes down something. They wait around and sneak in and steal out parts or the hyena takes it and then gets scared away because the lion comes in because mm -hmm. that happens, too. Uh, so uh, this is a term that I was looking I looked it up and it's basically i was looking for obligate scavengers so basically I mean they only eat dead food that they find yeah and uh it's actually really interesting because i didn't know 
I didn't think about it this way, but subsisting entirely or mainly on dead animals is actually very rare in vertebrates. Oh. Due to the difficulty of finding enough carrion without expending too much energy. Uh, so, for example, uh, think about vultures. Vultures are huge birds. Vultures are long-distance animals that are just constantly flying around, drifting. They're not actively using that much energy. Mm-hmm find any of these creatures that they're eating as compared yeah. to a lion where yeah. they uh, get there and they get there first where uh, the vultures picking over what's left over or luckily we have cars. So now they can just anything on roadkill is awesome for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And use less power uh, energy finding carrion that way. They just hang by the road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most scavenging animals are facultive scavengers to gain most of their food through other methods, especially predation. So this was also something that I thought was very interesting. Well, I, I got really annoyed with because um, they talked about this years ago. There's a theory that the, t- the T-Rex wasn't a predator. He was only a scavenger. But big well, no. a scavenger. Well, that was the theory is that it just kept it would just eat off of other things prey. And it was just just this big thing. So it could scare things away. But I was like, but like they said in here, that doesn't make much sense because how like it wouldn't be enough energy to provide for something that gets that big. Yeah. Unless it's like the biggest are like that only. And then like the smaller ones are being taken advantage of where you would have some kind of weird hierarchy. Hmm. Um, Many large carnivores that hunt regularly, such as hyenas and jackals, but also animals rarely thought of as scavengers such as the African lion, leopards, and wolves, will scav- scav- scavenge. Yeah. Scav- that cut all- scavenge. Uh, if given the chance. Uh, they may also use their size and for, um, ferocity to intimidate the original hunters. Once again, like I said, lions. Um, the cheetah is a notable victim of these kind of predators. Oh. Perpetrators. Also, scavengers... Above, also, all scavengers above insect size are predators and will hunt if not enough. If if not enough, will yeah. hunt if not enough. Okay. Oh, because I I my bro- oh that's what uh, there's a dot on my screen, so it looked like there was a period at the end. So I was like, that doesn't make it. Not enough carrion is available. Ah, I was like, there should be more to that sentence. Yeah, it's like what? The- uh, yeah, and you know, a uh, few ecosystems provide enough dead animals year round to keep its scavengers fed on that alone yeah and i was like okay this is actually very interesting you know i'd never thought about it never looked into it uh scavengers play a fundamental role in the environment through the removal of decaying organisms serving as nature's sanitation service very important yeah while microscopic and invertebrate disposer decomposers break down dead organisms like we said before last week or last time Organisms into simple organic matter, which are used by nearby uh, autotropes. Scavengers help conserve energy and the nutrients obtained from carrion within a, the upper tropic level. I think hmm. it just, I don't really know what that means. What? Yeah. You're telling me you don't know a thing. Yup. That can't be right. Uh, okay, food web starts with tropic level one with primary producers such as plants uh herbivores are 
uh, level two carnivores are level three or higher and typically finish with apex predators for five so yeah tropic is just the different so obtain the carrion within the higher level so it's not like given back to the balance light and are able to disperse energy nutrients further away from the site of the carrion okay so yeah they they spread the nutrients around rather than uh, keeping it like in like a decomposer because they can't spread anything so i was like okay let's look at some scavengers what are some very famous scavengers so we can also look about like characteristics and stuff like that so i uh found this one and they talked about the black and turkey vultures yeah so black and turkey vultures are scavengers that feed primarily on carrion vultures are part of nature's cleanup crew they rid the landscape of detri um detritus no it's not detritus what uh deteriorating carcasses boo should have just gone with detritus yeah also detritus um and help curb the spread of dangerous diseases and bacteria their stomachs have a strong enzyme that kill dangerous toxins and microorganisms. Um, I, I was like, I was thinking about that. I was like, because there was some, uh, one of the other ones I was reading, because they were talking about how uh, a lot of these scavengers are basically reservoirs for deadly diseases. I was like, Ugh. so it's like if we actually had like obligate, more obligate um, scavengers, maybe we would have less issues with that. Mm hmm. But it's also probably the ones that spread it are the ones that are like, hey, look, food. Kind Interesting of. fact about I think it's in India or it's in the Middle East, but they're they have a culture where um, they do air burials. Yes. And right uh, now it, it's in Asia. There's a there's a bunch of places that do the sky burials. Um, but they have a specific like tower that. Um, I learned about this from Caitlin Doherty. She's a she's a YouTuber who does um, uh, talks about cremation and other death things. She did a video where she went up to Lake Superior to learn about uh, that one ship. Uh, what was it? There's a song about it. Oh, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Edmund Fitzgerald. Anyways, um, so there uh, in one of her books that she published, she was talking about how they are having problems because they're used to doing sky burials. But because of um, because of the um, uh, da, 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 because of the environment and the climate change and what have you, the um, vultures or the carrion birds that they're used to to doing uh sky burials are no longer near or they're extinct so they're so you know their culture is used to putting these people and preparing them and putting them in this tower but they're not decomposing as fast or i mean they're still there and they're used to the birds eating and taking care of the remains but since there's no birds to eat them, there's just the prepared remains are just festering and not being cleaned away like they traditionally would have in the past. Gross. Yeah, uh, because it was, uh, what was it, um, for in Louisiana uh, when they had their weird burials because, like, you know, they have all those mausoleums that are above ground because yeah. they can't bury anything because of the water table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets so hot down there that they basically just dry out. Yeah. And, and yeah. become powder. 
in those yeah. things. And that's why every I can't remember if it's every decade they can they just replace one person into it and put a new one in. I thought that they yeah, that's why I, I thought that they had like a little pit in the back that you could just sweep the remains to the back of it. Yeah. And then that empties it for the next inhabitant. Yeah. Yep. It basically just yeah, but it gets so hot in there. It's essentially a long term cremation. Yeah, a slow, a slow dehydrating just cremation that goes till they're done vultures lack powerful feet that are characteristic to other raptors like eagles and hawks they have long toes with blunted uh talons which i thought i was like oh that's interesting which makes it easier to walk on because yeah if you're walking on sharp talons you're just screwing them up so there's no point walking around yeah uh turkey vultures will often place one or both feet on their food when eating Oh. Yeah, just so I don't know, keeping keeping place. Uh black vultures mm-hmm. typically typically do not use their feet when feeding. So yeah, I guess they're that's a weird way of saying it because I'm like they're just using their feet like human feet. They're just to plant in position so they can eat rather than like hands. They don't have a opposable thumbs, so that's how they keep it still while they tear at it. Vultures have and then yeah, they just it goes into the hooked bill. And it's for, you know, tearing off pieces of food. Vultures also lack feathers so that, you know, it doesn't get nasty. Yeah, of course not. And their legs are, this one's actually very gross, but it actually, it it was actually very interesting why they do this. Um, So uh, the legs of vultures are usually coated in white due to dry uric acid from their excrements. Hmm. Now, uh, like later on, I, I might say it again, if I accidentally reading it, uh, the reason why they do that for two reasons. One, it keeps them cool and yeah. carrion has a lot of diseases and oh. their stomach acids and like other acids that are in their uh, digestive system will actually kill those microbiome, like those different things on their legs. So they don't spread disease. Interesting. That's I was going to say, is this a way to prevent disease spreading? Because. Yeah. OK, so uh, the other carrion animal that I was looking at, because it was also brought up in the myth uh, folklore is the hyena hyena of all the wild animals. The hyena seems to have a bad rap that won't go away. Sure. They lack in grace and charisma, but there's so much more to hyenas than filthy scavengers. I don't know. I think, I think hyenas also have a tough time of it period. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're a very fascinating, uh, very cool creature, actually. Um, while these animals will not think twice about devouring rotten meat, some hyenas are skilled hunters and can bring down prey as large as a, a wildebeest or buffalo, which I think uh, one of them is actually considered is also called Black the Black Death in Africa. Yeah. Because they kill a lot of people. I think they're uh. like, what, number three in deadliest animals in Africa? They have one of the worst uh, birth giving situations oh hyenas oh Oh, gosh yeah that hyenas hyenas do have a bad time of giving birth because essentially it's the 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 track that it the baby has to go through is essentially just a modified penis yeah yeah even the females have penises yeah no and that's yeah that's the whole they have something that looks like a penis yes 
the re the way that you can tell which one's male and which one's female is the females are bigger. Ah. Uh, no, res no respect for the male hyenas. Uh, yeah, it's a matriarchal grouping. So hyenas are witty, uh, courageous, and smart animals, and have and have no apologies to make. They are also incredibly caring and nurturing to their cubs, better than many other animals. Many people assume that they are closely related to dogs, but in fact, they're closely closer related to cats. They're actually part of the like the Philanamora um, subgroup ah. or suborder. Yeah, it's explain that to the to the creationist groups because i bet you when they talk about oh god said just bring two of every kind they would automatically lump the hyenas in with the dogs and not know to oh they should be part of cat kind uh, and yeah i just have a lot more it's just basic behavior stuff oh yeah. hyenas females are bigger more aggressive and more musc muscular than men yeah, i'd be more aggressive too if i had to go through it a female hyena uh, female hyenas have more testosterone than males uh, where uh where are you reading that because at one point when it was talking about their charisma or their wisdom i was just like oh are we getting the uh getting their uh traits for when we can run them as D, &D characters uh, yeah. No, this is from uh, Safari or uh, SafarisAfricana.com. Yeah. Once uh, once Knowles become playable, then we'll be able to do that. Yeah, but except Knowles are they look like hyenas, but aren't they straight just straight up evil? Because oh, they're look. demons. Yeah. Well, they're goblins evil. were evil for a long time, and now they're a playable character. Yeah, but I'm like they're like legitimately just demons. In I don't know. It depends on look, look. Things can change, and we're not going to get into that because, again, that you know, I'm trying to avoid talking about Discworld this entire thing. Um, hyenas are excellent communicators, use um, using various cues to send messages, accomplishing uh, group tasks efficiently. Hyenas are not related to dogs, or at least not closely related, because everything's related to each other in one way or another. Um, oh, despite being known as a laugh. The laughing sound hyenas make is actually, or not actually joyous, but a nervous excitement or submission to another hyena. Hey, what do you know? I do that too. Uh, unlike lions, which are the top of the pecking order, male hyenas fight for space from aggressive females and are on the bottom line as pack. Yeah. Oh, this is actually cool. Hyena's heart is double that of other mammals its size. So they are very loving. Yeah. Huh. Of all predators, the hyena is the only one with jaws strong enough to rip to uh drunk to rip not only uh elephant hide, which is very thick, but crush elephant bones. Wow. This puts uh yeah, they have like one of the strongest jaws on the planet. Nuts. Okay. Yeah, that's the end of my all my little lists and notes and stuff like that so are, Tasman are tasmanian devils uh scavengers scavengers uh yeah they they also scavenge but like so basically the rule is everything is uh cool with getting having free lunch yeah there's nothing out there that would be like oh no i only so you know the whole thing in Jurassic park when they're like t-rex doesn't want to be fed it wants wow. the hunt that's stupid Everything wants to be fed. Yeah. There's nothing on the planet that would be like, no, that's too easy. 
I, I'm going to go over there and make it harder for myself. No, they will get fed. It just didn't want the goat at the time. Yeah, it was not hungry. The, I mean, the raptors clearly tore apart that cow. Yeah, but they were also hungry. Yeah, well, they, 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 of course they were hungry. They were spending all day trying out different weaknesses in the fences. Exactly. That takes a lot of energy. Yeah. To feed their brains. Yeah. So, uh, so girl. So I was thinking about this because when I was talking about the umwelt, mm-hmm. uh, what would their the ghoul's umwelt be? And I was like, oh, we'll probably have a very good sense of smell because if we have it, that it's more it's more closer, more likely to go for more uh, dead things. So mm-hmm. they're going to have a different sense of more uh, death focused sense. And then now, you know, probably not as good a sense of vision, but, you know, knowing, oh, this is what I'm looking for is. OK, now with that question, then when it comes to the idea of is there ever a point where there's too much rot for a carrion animal to eat it? I think so. Yes, I think it's probably all dependent on um, the particular creature, because like if it's evolved strong enough uh, stomach acid or uh, or bacteria in its stomach to be able to fight against any kind of toxins that are produced, like from botulinum, because botulinum, um, that can ha- that happens in you know rotten food. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's probably it's dependent on them. You could we could still establish that. Yeah, I know it can still eat very rotten. But uh, so like I'll go back to my first question where I was talking about which kind of will this were our ghouls be defending their food from attackers or just run away? Well. This is still going to be a challenge because it's clear that at least in some myths and legends of certain ghouls, they lure, you know, they're, they're trapping species because it's not just the idea of like, they don't just go after the dead thing, Yeah. but maybe it's also the idea of they just take it down. And if a predator, something bigger that they don't feel comfortable trying to fight or take down, they would just make a break for it. Yeah. So it's, so that's why I was like. Will its body be more rugged or will it be more lithe and more cheetah like where it can escape? I always think more lithe just because it's it is what it be. It doesn't I don't I don't see the I don't see I don't see ghouls as ever the bruisers in any. Yeah. In in any sort of fiction, you you rarely see the bruiser ghoul unless you're doing like a uh, left for dead thing where it's like there's the different species or the occasional. um last of us where you gotta have you gotta have that big guy and if the big guy's not there it don't work so uh and then i was like oh uh because this is also something about um vultures vultures don't have a voice box so it actually would be interesting to have like it depending on how intelligent we have these things yeah uh so if it's intelligent then it's like okay yeah it's just able to mimic voices but it's like if it's actually just predatory it still has like some kind of voice box and very good uh, uh, mimicking abilities for luring purposes, which would be actually, which was a uh, very uh, predator like in the, in from the movie where like he was doing, they were doing that where they were mimicking voices in uh, predator Two, But in context, it didn't make any damn sense. Yeah. Which is always terrifying where you hear something out of context and you're like, why is that noise? Coming? Yeah. It's, it's the little girl giggle. Yeah. In the dark alley. Or the little child saying, please help me. Down the stairwell that always is dark and keeps on going. Yeah. 
the uh i was gonna say what if it's like the jeepers creepers thing ever like the because if it's gonna change form the jeepers creepers monster it has to just consume to regain those things every 27 years yeah, but that one's a lot more complicated in the sense of how because it was like what actually is it a stupid movie that's what it is no 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 is it that crab like thing is that actually the the actual body because that was one know. that's a theory about it um was because then because that was the thing about it it's if you have this kind of parasite that is strapped onto the back of a nervous system and it can replace its head clearly yeah. the memories and everything else aren't in that skull yeah but again i don't know it was it was a movie i didn't care for it was it started off cool and then it ended like i'm like no i don't like this anymore um, but it is, it has always been one of my favorite, uh, con concepts for like vampires, uh, zombies or anything else like that, where, or anything notion of like this undead creature. Yeah. It's, it's not actually an undead creature. It's a puppeteer. Okay. And it's able to puppet the dead body into okay. a certain point. So, uh, no, with that one, if we go for that approach, cause I don't know if we wanted to actually, if we ever want to deal with like zombies like that, but it would be going down that road of how you'd have to do it. Yeah. Now, what for this, if you had it, that it was something that could take over the dead body, the quote unquote yeah. dead body, then you need something that is either able to just pilot it or, uh, and then it's like a short term thing because you can only, human muscles can only work for so long after the expiration date has passed. Uh, so what it'd have to have is now, if it wants to be able to keep going, it would have to basically take, take, replace the property of the brain so that everything else will start back up again. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's something for a later time. Yes. And that's, but yeah, for this word, I'm just going to go with, uh, our, because that was a thing too, is for our ghoul, if it is something that's just carrying, then I would just give it something that has a good sense of smell and good sense of hearing so that it, you know, doesn't get. Uh, caught yeah. the best sense of vision no. and um, and then I was like well if it also digs around in graveyards and stuff like that it would need bigger claws not for fighting but for digging yeah because yeah it's not there important. yeah no it would be that thing of it doesn't need to necessarily be that kind of a creature because it's going to be live and run away yeah like, so yeah we have uh, something that looks very more cheetah like probably still dark yeah. in, in uh, color and stuff like that for dark, for being at night. The image of the hands I have are, um, you know, longer two middle fingers The where it can dig in and can have a nice grasp to it. Mm -hmm. mm. So that's what uh, the hand is like a human hand, but like I said, the middle fingers would be longer. So it would have a... Well... I'm not going to say best of both worlds because it's basic. It's not because in that sense, it's uh, you are sacrificing better digging abilities for having more dexterity, but you're sacrificing some of your dexterity because you can't, you won't have enough fingers to actually do that. It just one of those give and take. Cause like, yeah, if you think about the difference between um, these, the thumb and uh, two outer fingers grab onto something compared to uh, a full fist. Because the, the, the muscles and grouping everything, if you have it that the middle fingers are digging, those things probably won't be able to bend as much because you don't want them too bendy for digging purposes because they need to be tougher. 
So they need some dexterity. In you need them salad finger fingers. Those aren't good for anything, the salad fingers. Well, they'd be stronger. They'd have to be more of a scoop. They're salad. Carotene salad, that's what it is. Where they're just shorter, shorter hands, but longer nails. But So does that sound like a good design for our little guy? Our, our little guy? So it'd be a little guy. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, probably less than 100 pounds. Oh. Draw a chiba, chibi version of it. Hey. Well, aren't chibi more roundy, roundish? They tend to be big heads, yeah. small bodies. Yeah. But they make chibi things of everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You can find. I mean, look, just look up. Just go to like, look up Nendoroids. You'll see Nendoroids for everything. But yeah, I think it's like, I think uh, like how they have it, at least in uh, Pathfinder, like gassed would be a yeah. better depiction if you yeah. wanted something. Well, yeah, rather I mean, than a ghoul, because the ghouls are yeah. just like these undead. Yeah, but now, so I mean, since we did get this from the Pathfinder, um, our ga guests are corporeal. Yes. Are they? Okay. So as that's the thing, because it's like I did not like the illustration for the guest out of that out of that manual, because it doesn't feel like it's corporeal. It's got that weird ethereal. It almost had that weird ethereal look from what I remember seeing. Second. Da -da. Hmm. Oh. Huh. Oh no. Actually, that... Ghast and Ghoul is actually under the same thing for Pathfinder uh oh. oh, never okay. mind. Uh Ghoul is still uh part of the ugh, its own separate thing. First ghoul. Yeah. It terrifying. It, yeah. I maybe and again, this could just be me have only seeing a few pictures. Because looking at some of these, ghasts definitely look they definitely look like it was a couple of pictures that I it was a couple of pictures that I had seen when I had just done the initial lookup mm -hmm. that looked more ethereal, but definitely some of these ghasts look more like again, more lithe. Yeah. Fast on the draw, but oh that one's that one's looking real handsome. How you doing, Sailor? Oh oh yeah, so they just have it uh for um yeah. Oh yeah, it's just basically a souped up uh ghoul is a ghast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's ghouls and then like it almost looks at least like the gas are almost like a weirdly almost seemingly more intelligent version of the ghoul. Like yeah. it's working less on instinct than aww. Yeah. Gassed from Pathfinder? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gas generally have it that they are more intelligent and they can actually infect you uh, with like gas fever. Oh, but there's yeah. also ghoul fever. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I feel like gas fever seems like it's more intentional. Like, I'm going to give you gas fever, and the ghoul's just like, if you catch it, you catch it. So you yeah, posted a ghoul, and so a ghast is the more intelligent version? That's yeah. what we're seemingly, yes. Yeah. Like, like you have a ghoul, and then you soup it up with, and then you soup it up, you, you add a spoiler or two, and then it becomes a, then it becomes a ghast. Yeah. So I think I would also change the the teeth. Yeah. On this because in this they have it that all the teeth are the same. Yeah. Which could be beneficial because if you have it that it's not a mammal, then yeah. it could be that it's like you know the constant rotation of uh, teeth. One breaks, something else comes in place. Yeah. yeah. Which would be very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta rip and tear until it's done. Yeah. I mean. But I yeah I was I would have to look more indentation of like what would be the most beneficial for it getting like every bit of meat off of something yeah. and i mean because I, I would think like incisor like would be like for scraping off kind of moving back to the whole thing with bone like because like the care like 
Are there many? Are there any carrion animals that can get anything out of the bone? Yeah, the hyena. I mean, the hyena gets it out of the bone. Yeah, because they can crush the bones. They think they're better than us, huh? Yes. Good for them. Aren't there like in Tasmanian? I know of Tasmanian devils being able, like they eat yeah, because yeah, they'll crunch right the through them. Yeah, and then get the marrow. Oh, see it. I, I, isn't I, there some birds that are able to get in, get some more, um, because get some marrow because they uh, lift them up into the air and drop them onto the ground? I don't think, doubt it. I think it, there is like some up in the Himalayas where they'll, uh, take bones and then they'll drop them so that they can break the bones and get into the marrow. Yeah. Which is one thing I'd like to try. The cursed marrow, marrow, not going going into the Himalayas, taking bones and throwing them onto the ground to to crush them. Yeah, just have to go to a butcher. Though it would have to be a bigger bird because it couldn't, you would have to be, it would only be for the bigger bones to be able to do that because the smaller bones would hit terminal velocity uh, too fast. So it would actually probably not, like if you took a finger bone, it wouldn't shatter if you drop it from a great height. Cursed woodpecker, make a make a small hole and then suck it out like a straw. Oh, the bearded vulture. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, that's a bigger bird. But yeah, uh, so yeah, that's b- b- my basic concepts. I have actually like yeah, three different designs for. Uh... You know, shockingly, we stayed on task so well on this one. Yeah, it almost it almost hurts a little bit how well we stayed on task. It was because I did a lot of reading. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so yeah, that's my basic idea for the uh ghouls nice. so what should we talk about next week well you told us not to tell you but i guess yes. we're going to tell you now or or you can just add your own little sh- what you're going to do next week well what i well what i'd really like to do is we want to talk about the the life and extinction of the slide rock bolter it's a you're it's going to be a very interesting one and oh it's it it's a it's a rock whale R O C rock? No, R O C. Well, R O C K. Sorry, I forgot you didn't add the K to that. Yes, it's an R O C K whale. It's a it's a rock whale, and okay. we will explain what we mean by that next time. I've oh, gone yeah. through so many rabbit holes. It's it, this is a this is an interesting one. We genuinely they do. Rabbit, they can fit in rabbit holes. A Real Creature Feature is created by Matt Kuklinski, starring Matt Kuklinski, Michael Seaman, and Dean Snow. Any questions, comments, artwork, or general inquiries can be sent to realcreaturefeature at gmail.com. You can view any submitted fan art and pictures on our Instagram at a Real Creature Feature. Some episodes were recorded weeks in advance due to our current sporadic recording schedule. Any comments left will be seen and addressed at some point, and you will be credited unless you tell us you wish to remain anonymous. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on the podcast app that works best for you. It really helps us out. Also, tell your friends, enemies, and total strangers about the podcast. They might enjoy it too, and that can bring us all closer together. You know problem with all of our corpses is it's filled with all these different metals and whatnot and that's one of the problems with burial you need to find something to keep yourself from going into the water table like mercury from your dentist and what have you like we should do more 
sky burials. Well, okay, so then I, I will bring this up. There is a company, I I don't know if they've expanded it from the West Coast, where they're actually doing, they found a good mix of bacteria, so they can, you can actually get mulch. Yep. Basically. Um, they are expanding a little bit on the West Coast. That was about a year ago that I was reading about that. But yeah, they're, they're slowly working their way inward. Yeah, and I was um, like, oh, and it actually takes a very short amount of time. Well, yeah, and it's uh, they I think it's an FBI school where they're crime uh, scene. A lot of, they're body farms. Yeah, they, where they study the decomposition. And if you get the right, you know, if you bury the person just enough and you've got enough leaf litter in that stuff, natural composite uh, com- composition. No, composition is it, is it composition after your decomposition. decomposition. So. With the right amount, you could decompose a person fairly quickly. Yeah. And there was a lady who was doing studies about uh, mushrooms. So one one group studied after the oil spill. They put Mm -hmm. three different made three different piles of oily dirt. They covered one as the control. They had one that they did the traditional cleaning chemical mess that we usually do. And then they did another one where they've developed these specific mushrooms and fungi that actually eat and are able to process the oil. And then since they can process the oil, other uh, bugs and other animals are creating a food chain all on this one pile. And then, of course, the... um, so there's that where they actually were studying mushrooms being able to process um, oil and potentially putting a bunch of mushrooms into the Chernobyl site to see if they could, if they, but same, same concept, only these mushrooms would be focused on um, nuclear radiation, um, if that's even, you know, selectively breeding it for that uh but there's a lady who took all of that and came up with this idea for a funeral uh suit that you put the body into but it's seeded with uh with fungi spores yeah so then as you disc as you decompose the suit uh lets the mushrooms have easy access to you and help to decompose you yeah because the main reason why you have to be uh buried in a cement box is because of all that we pump into the not because of the bodies we are not because of the chemicals we already have in unless you really had a weird life uh but yeah the formaldehyde and all that other stuff that too we want to be able to look at a dead body days and days after it's died well the whole thing is it would actually be cheaper for a lot of these funeral companies, which they could do is just to put you on ice in a freezer until the day of presentation. The whole reason why formaldehyde became the gold standard was because of Lincoln. So when he, yeah. So when Lincoln died, he was going on his presidential tour of the nation after death. So creepy. By So the whole thing was people were, you know, Lincoln had been dead for weeks and weeks and weeks at this point, and he looked good. 
you know, for a dead guy, he looked great. It's like, and then everyone's like, well, how do I get to look this good after I die? And that's how it became essentially the gold standard was to be pumped full of preservatives. And then you had a big desire for that because you've got sons going across the country and dying in the war and you want them to come home and be able to look similar to what you remember them as. I like the idea of the mulching because also it uh, turns out uh, cremation isn't all that carbon neutral. No, but there is an alternative to cremation, um, which used to be essentially instead of burning you, you get liquefied. And that one's actually was until the until the mulching become became a thing. That was the better alternative to cremation. It's but, but that's all yeah. dependent on uh, the state you live in and if it's legal. All of these things that we're talking about are so state restricted, like. I was talking with this my with my parents because they're now going through their will and thinking about it and they're both wanting to be cremated and then they don't care where their remains are uh put and what have you but like I said I watch the YouTube channel and then I also have listened to her books and it's like I'd like to do as natural of a burial, like find a grave site that does natural burials where you're basically put into a wicker basket and simple cotton, white cotton uh, shroud is put over you and then you're just buried in the ground. Part of the reason why we have the cement vaults is on behalf of those uh, cemeteries and graveyards. So it's easier to yarn care that too, because <laughs> that, that's the other major thing is the soil settles and then you've got these divots. Because after people are compose decomposing and what have you, I was like, why couldn't you just do a bottomless vault? Like if you don't have people who have formaldehyde, but you had like the cement part just to keep the ground level and then you're still letting all like worms and what have you come up underneath and take care of you naturally because and then... you, it's, it's because you probably would still um make a, a a cavity in there and eventually that the whole section probably would sink or something like that look, or there's there's probably reasons look don't worry don't worry in the next 10 years it'll be hot enough we can all do the we can all do the new orleans mausoleums we don't have to worry about this. It's not a problem. Oh, build the first above ground graveyard in Wisconsin and just do the, you know, how those people have those mirror ovens. Yeah. Just arrange that around our mausoleums. There we go. Oh, my mom's going to turn my dad into a princess cut diamond if he dies first. That's uh, that was basically a guarantee for that one. My mom's like, my mom's like, if you go first, I'm turning you into a diamond.